I don't know. You know, when the Lord lays a verse on your heart, give us this day, our daily bread, and then he gives you vis- vivid reminders of why you should be praying that and how we know often we neglect that prayer. Uh, maybe we should not be neglecting such prayers. All right. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been here for a while. We'll have another week of it next week. Pastor Kevin will be teaching. And you got to first come back and see it. We have Pastor Kevin, and for the first time, I believe, his son-in-law leading worship for him. And so it's going to be a first, a father and son-in-law team, father and son team, uh, presenting ministry for us next week. Lily and I are going away for a couple of days, and we'll be with you the this Wednesday and the following Wednesday as well, and uh, we'll continue to do ministry. So uh, it'll be two weeks before we conclude Matthew chapter 7. I broke it down. Last time I taught through the Gospel of Matthew, I took chapter 7 in one setting, but I've been trying to slow it down a little bit. So today we're going to look at verses 1 through 14, only looking at three points in this message. And the three points... From Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 14, I titled the message, Entering by the Narrow Gate. Point 1, we're going to be looking at Judge Not, verses 1 through 6. 7 through 12, we'll be looking at the Golden Rule, and verses 13 and 14, the Narrow and Wide Gates. So here in this portion of Scripture, Jesus teaches us to judge not to seek, to ask, to knock when pursuing the blessings of God. And so we'll talk about prayer again in this passage. And then also talks about the importance of entering into the kingdom of God. He'll give us only one way through the narrow gates. And so we're going to see all this today. Those who choose not to enter through the narrow gate, they'll discover the Lord saying to them, Sorry, I never knew you. We'll learn about that next week. But also, or in two weeks, also how we are to build our lives upon the rock, that rock being Jesus Christ. So a lot to learn here in Matthew chapter 7. Let's go ahead and look at our first point and get into the teaching of God's word. Judge not, reading from Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Judge not that... You be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at a speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck out of your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn and tear you in pieces. So Jesus reminding us, first and foremost here, to judge not. And so we find that We have judgments and measures in verses 1 and 2. Again, I'll repeat it for us. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judged, 
you will be judged with what measure you use. It will be measured back to you. We learned last Wednesday night in um, Leviticus that God called the children of Israel to have honest weights and measures. He says, don't have in other portions in the Old Testament. He told the children of Israel, don't have two different sets of, of weights and measures. And so what was meant by that, they would actually have one set of weights and measure when they were selling products to other people. And they'd have another set of weights and measure when they were buying products from someone else. And so both sets were geared up for the dishonest person to always get the better deal. I'm going to make more when I sell to someone else, and I'm going to get more when I buy from someone else because they would use dishonest weights and measures. I was at the uh, Lake Villa Fall Fest celebration last night with our family, and one of the pizza places in the area, they were selling pizza at the same price they sell pizza at their store all the time. And I was impressed by that. They're at a place where there are, I don't know, a thousand. There's a lot of people there last night. And I was thinking, if any time, this would be a time when you could raise the price and you would make money. People would still buy the pizza. But they didn't. I was impressed by that. They kept the price the same that you see it all the time. They didn't change it. And uh, I was impressed by that. Now, I don't know if they're a Christian who owned this business. All I know is that it impressed this Christian who saw it because we ate somewhere else and we paid a lot for what we got. And it wasn't probably the value that we wish we could have got out of it. But that's how it is. We know we kind of understand those things when we're out and about in this world that there are those who will raise prices. There are those who will deal harshly with us. There are those who will judge and judge. Isn't that happening in our world today where people are judging the words that we say, um, posting on social media and stuff, and uh, it can get you banned. They are judging and we are judging. But the Lord has called us to be opposite of that of the world. And he reminds us, not only are we to judge not, with the judgment that we judge with, with the measure that we use, that judgment will come back to you, come back to us. That measure will come back to, to us. We need to remember that we all have that inherited sin nature. No one is perfect, as the old saying goes. And people will often give that excuse for their misgivings instead of attempting to correct the faults or the sins that they might have. Since we all have that inherited sin nature that has resulted from the fall, Jesus counsels us to refrain from judging others. Now, we'll see in verse 6 that we are to have judgment. So it's not like, oh, we're not supposed to judge anything, but we'll get to that in a moment. But the importance of judging is reiterated in the epistles in Romans 14:4. Who are you to judge another's servants? To his own master, he stands or fall. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. Now, this is specifically Paul talking to the church, talking about judging our brothers and sisters within the church. Paul says, 
God will make him stand. So we know that this is talking about someone who walks in fellowship with God. In fact, the Greek word for servant there usually refers to a slave in the member of a household. So talking about the people in the member of the household of God, that as believers, we are all under the same household of faith through Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are not to judge our co-servants, our brothers and sisters in Christ in the non-essentials of our faith. Concerning judgments and measures, Jesus reminds us that we're all going to stand before God one day. And with that which we judge, that which we measure, it will come back to us. In the Bible, there are two judgment thrones of God mentioned in Scripture. The Bema Seat judgment is not for salvation, but it is for the believers. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, we first are reminded that we are not saved by works, but through faith. The verse actually reads this way. For grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So if we were saved by our works, we'd have maybe a lot to boast about and maybe a lot to judge others about. Well, you're not doing the things I'm doing. I know I'm saved because of the things that I've done, so you need to be like me. No, we're not saved that way. We're saved by grace, and we need to never forget that. So the Bema Seat judgment in the Greek word, it appears, that word Bema, it comes from the Greek. It appears in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the thing done in the body, whatever is done, whether good or bad. And then Paul repeats again in Romans 14:10, why do you judge your brother or why do you show contempt to your brother? Talking about the household of faith, the brothers and sisters in Christ. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So that seat, Bema, it actually goes back in the mind of the, what we would call the Olympics in the Greek days. Um, that throne, the rewards that they would give, the judgment of reward. So as believers in Jesus Christ, we will stand before the Lord and he will judge our works, whether good or bad. And some of those things that we do, they will consist of what the Bible describes as wood, hay or stubble. John, all that time you spent riding around on your motorcycle. I know you love riding the bike, but sometimes... That's just a little wood. That's just a little hay. It's not wrong to own a bike, I don't believe, at this point. Um, but that could be deemed somewhat wood, hay, and stubble. It might be burned up for me one day. That testing, you have those enduring things like gold, silver, or precious stones. John, that time you spend studying the Word of God, preparing to teach the people of God. I'm going to rack that one up as gold or silver or precious stones for my people. So... It'll be tested by the fire, but this is not our salvation. Remember, we go back to Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we are not to boast toward one another, but we are to somewhat, when we judge, I think it's important first to judge ourselves. We'll see that in our next point. The other judgment throne is called the great white throne judgment. 
And that comes to us from Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12, also verse 15. This is for unbelievers. And John wrote, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open. And another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And then it says, verse 15, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. They were judged according to the works, according to what was written in the books. But it was all about whether their name was found in the book of life, whether they were cast into the lake of fire, the second judgment, as Scripture calls it, or um, our names as believers in Jesus Christ being found in the book of life, brought into the heaven and the glories of heaven. Though the judgments of God will be horrific, I don't... I don't I don't know. I don't, I don't look forward to standing at the Bema Seat Judgment, God judging my works. While the great white throne judgment leads to everlasting death, we can be assured as believers in Jesus Christ, when we stand before the Lord, not because of our works, our works may be burned up or not, but we have life because of faith in His name. So Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, 8, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And Solomon teaches us in Proverbs 11:18, those who sow to righteousness will have sure reward. So I think when we talk about judging, let's look inward first and foremost. When we're sowing the seeds of faith or the seeds of flesh, what are we doing? I want to go for the sure reward. We find a counter of this in Luke 6:37, where Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So in this life, every situation that troubles our lives, we can choose. We can choose to judge, we can choose to condemn, or we can choose to forgive. I want to choose to forgive. So he talks about specks and planks in verses 3 through 5. Why do you look at your brother and the speck in your brother's eye and not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So I look at this a few different ways. I was a brick mason for 20 years, and I spent a lot of days walking on planks, not walking off a plank like pirates would have you die in the sea or something, but we built scaffolding, and, and our footing and our material was set on planks, and on the job, planks were usually 8 feet long or 16 feet long. So... If I have a 16-foot plank sticking out of my eye, don't ask me to get the speck out of your eye. All I'm going to do is smack you with a very heavy thing. Uh, the Greek, when referring to this plank, it speaks about a beam. So for you guys who, and gals possibly, that 
love to go to Menards or Home Depot. Think about their four by four post. Same image. You got a pretty major thing. So Jesus uses this hyperbolic illustration by referring to our problems as this four by four or this plank in our eye in comparison to a speck in our brother's or sister's eye. And often we are concerned about the speck, a minor sin that is an irritant sometimes even to us in someone else's life. When we have this major sin, this four by four timber, obstructing our own vision. Thomas A. Kempis, one of the early church fathers said, in judging others, a man labors in vain, often errs and easily sins. But in judging and examining himself, he always labors fruitfully. I like that. In judging others, and we know this is true, a man or woman, they labor in vain. They often err and we easily sin. But when judging and examining ourselves, we always labor fruitfully. With the help of Christ, those who successfully remove that plank from their own eye, then they'll have clarity of vision to help actually do well with a brother or sister. Even on the job, I was talking about the bricky days and... Uh, I remember vividly to this day, uh, one of the Irish bricklayers that worked for me, ah, Johnny, I got something in my eye and I just can't get it out. You got to get it out for me. And uh, he smoked a lot of cigarettes, so he took a match. We used to do this. You'd carry matches. I didn't carry matches because I didn't smoke. But anyways, back in the day, take the back end of a match, peel it off, and it would be a little bit hairy on the backside. And you would use that as a brush. And that's what I used to get the speck out of his eye. So two grown men on the job site um, might look odd, but when you need to help, you help. But what if I also had specks, stuff in my eyes, like, sorry, Chris, I can't do this for you. I can't even see to do this. And don't trust me in this matter. So when we see a brother or sister... And we know that things happen in life. Paul reminds us of this. And think about this in judging others. In Galatians 6, 6, brother, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Do it in a spirited spirit of gentleness. A day for bricklayer stories. So another laborer, John was his name, Jonathan. And uh, he got something in his eye. And I, I told him just to go wash it out. I had no, I mean, you work in construction, you're going to get stuff in your eyes and it happens all the time. And uh, sometimes you have to wait until the next morning until your body kind of works it out of your system and you wake up in the morning, and you're peeling all this crud out. And uh, I had no compassion for him. And yet... What he got in his eye was lime, and it damaged his eye for the rest of his life. And so we need to have that heart of compassion. I felt bad after I learned that his eye actually got damaged because of the lime that got in it. I'd just never seen it happen before. So those who have gained victory through Christ in areas of sin 
such as drugs or alcohol or some other life-controlling issue, we are often able to help others to gain the same victory, but through the blood of Jesus Christ, for it is, 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. And here we have, verse 6, kind of that sense of judging what we do. Do not give what is holy to dogs or cast your pearls before swines, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So we are to consider when sharing the gospel, and this is how I thought of this, when sharing the gospel, there are those who are sometimes hungry to hear the word of God. And to those who are hungry for the word of God, I want to invest in such people. But there are others who are simply not hungry. Maybe you give them a seed of truth, they reject it, and you leave that seed there to let the Lord do the germinating, the watering that takes place. It could be that someone else will come along later and begin to water the seed of the Spirit in that person's life. But sometimes we battle with people that they are deemed so much in Scripture when they talked about dogs. Dogs are not mentioned well in Scripture. They didn't have house pets. They were pretty much farm animals, but these really talking about wild dogs that roamed around. You didn't want to mess with the dogs. Uh, they'll turn and tear you to pieces. They'll come after you. You didn't want to mess with the swine. I know we don't have wild boar around here, but my son living in Hawaii, they do. And if you come up upon a wild boar, oh, look at the little piggies. No. <laughs> Or when I was in uh, Africa, in Sudan, South Sudan. Yeah, we were out and we saw them, but you didn't want to go chase them down. They'll turn on you. So we need to have good judgment. And it's not that we're not to share Christ with others and not be willing to share Christ with all. But when investing the Word of God with others, we need to know that sometimes there's limits in our own life, how much we can do, and the fruit that might come out of that. And so this judgment, I view it more of a judgment of how we conduct ourselves in the light of others and giving out the truth of God's word. Philippians 2, Philippians 3, verse 2 says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So the Great Commission tells us, uh, right behind me here, Matthew 28:19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And when sharing the holy things, the precious pearls of faith with others, we need to gain wisdom and where and how to share to invest our time wisely. I believe that can be looked at in verse 6 here. How to invest our time wisely to share the truths of the Word of God with others. Therefore, we need to have discernment, judgment. But this is more of a judgment in your own life, but also looking at the others, how the Word is being received, and what we should do from that point forward. Sometimes all you end up doing is fighting, and it ends up being a battle that just simply won't get won. Remember this, we did this during family camp, when pointing out the faults of others, 
you always have three fingers pointing back at you. And we may never forget that. So in the early days of the 1990s, my son had a favorite band whose name was Plank Eye. Even now as a musician, I can remember the music and lyrics of Plank Eye and the uh, rhythms of what they did. It was an alternative Christian rock band that took their name from Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. And the band's name is a good reminder that we are all sinners in need of a Savior, especially when we catch ourselves unjustly judging and condemning others. And here's a verse that I often like to remember from my own life. It's 1 Corinthians 10:12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Remember, we are sinners saved by grace. We need to be careful when judging others, remembering that we are sinners saved by grace. So we have in Scripture what is known to us as the golden rule, and it's contained in this next section, actually verse 12 of Matthew chapter 7, but we're going to first look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12, and we'll begin looking at verses 7 and 8, where the Lord calls us to ask, seek, and knock. Ask that it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And he to him who knocks, it will be given. And so to ask, seek, and knock. And this is really talking about our prayer life before the Lord and how we come to the Lord in our life and really thinking about three different types of prayer an asking prayer, a seeking prayer, and a knocking prayer. So the Greek word that is translated as ask here, or to request, it always speaks about from one who is lower to that who is higher in position. One who is lower, man, to that of God. So in prayer, it's quickly a reminder that we are requesting as created beings of God, created in the image of God, we are asking God in our prayer. And it gives me the sense that we ask and it will be given to you that sometimes in our prayer life, there are quick answers to prayer. Matthew 21:22, Jesus said, whatever thing you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And there are those times where we simply ask, Lord, help. And he helps. And it's immediate. And it's wonderful. And we think, why, Lord, why can't you do this all the time? James reminds us in James 4:2, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Sometimes we forget to ask. We fail in asking. And then he goes on, James 4, 2, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. And we just have a wrong purpose in heart. He finishes by saying that you may spend it on your pleasures. We're asking with a wrong motive in our heart. So we need to determine how to ask the Lord. But also in 1 John 5, 14, now we have this confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So when we ask, we need to ask in accordance to the will of God. Like John says in 1 John 5, 14, not 
in, in accordance to our own will that we might plen- spend it on our pleasures, as James said there in James 4, 2. But we ask with confidence, seeking the will of God. Sometimes God answers quickly. That is the type of prayer. At other times, we have to seek. And I think there's purpose behind these things. So the Greek word translated as seek here, it speaks about seeking for something by thinking it through. And so you really have to mull it over. Uh, It speaks about the necessity of conforming our hearts, our lives to the will of God. And perhaps thinking through our prayers, the Lord helps us in giving us a needed answer. Sometimes we pray, but the Lord wants us to take a little more time to think the thing through. John, what are you really asking me to do? Think it through, boy. That's the Lord speaking to me. I'm not talking to you that way. Um, But he'll speak to me that way, and that's fine. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. When coming to the Lord and seeking, thinking things through. Isaiah 55:6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That we've been called in Scripture to seek, but also to knock. Now, I'm reminded when knocking that of a couple of things. Um, When you come to somebody's house, it is polite to knock or ring the doorbell. If you're my grandson, he'll ring the doorbell over and over again. That gets to the point of not being polite, but that can happen. (laughs) But the idea is you knock and you wait until somebody comes and opens the door and brings you in. Um, every Sunday, almost every Sunday since COVID happened, we've had uh, Kevin and Melissa and the grandkids over for dinner, and they know that they we're expecting them. They can just come right in when they get there. And yes, we often get that doorbell ring as they're coming in. But you think about knocking and waiting. You don't barge in. You knock, you wait. Wait until someone answers. And there must be this persistence in our prayer life to knock until Jesus gives us the answer that we're seeking or the answer that he desires to give to us. Sometimes, remember, we may be asking a mist, and so we're seeking this thing, and the Lord's saying, no, you need to uh, seek a little bit. You need to actually knock a while because you don't get it, John, boy. I'll have the Lord talking to me again. You're not getting this, and so I'm going to make you wait it out until I open this door for you. There's only a couple of places in Scripture that talks about someone knocking. One is Acts 12:16, a time when Peter had been arrested in prison and the church was there praying all night for his release. He's released. He comes to the door of the church where they're, not the church or the house where the church is meeting. He knocks. A girl comes to the door and she says, Who is it? And he says, I'm Peter. And she's in such disbelief that she runs back to the church who's praying for his release and says, Peter's standing at the door. And they said, no way, he must be dead. It must be his angel. They had a lot of faith. Place, Lord, get him out of prison, even if you have to kill him and send him to heaven. Because all we can believe is his angel is coming right now. Uh, And Peter kept knocking. 
until they opened the door and saw that it was actually him. And they were 12, 16 of the book of Acts. Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, and they were astonished. They were astonished that their prayers were answered. Have you ever been astonished at answered prayer? I think it should be astonishing when God answers all of our prayers. And I think we fail when we neglect to give God the proper place in answered prayers. The other knocking place in Scripture is Jesus. In Revelation 3.20, where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with me. And so the other knocking um, scenario that we have in Scripture is actually of Jesus knocking on the heart of in Revelation 3.20. He's knocking on the heart of the church that has put their Savior outside of the church and he's knocking on the heart of the church, the individuals within that church, saying, let me in. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. So sometimes we ask and our Heavenly Father immediately gives. Other times we seek and the Lord helps us to find the answer. And there are times when we must knock and we must wait. A knocking prayer for me was several years of my son just on the rebellious trail in life from a young teenager until he was 26 years old. Um, I would take it from the age of 14 to 26. I think he would go from the age of 16 to 26. I guess it depends from your perspective, but I know I was praying early for my son. Twice during, from my perspective, 12 years, Twice, the Lord reassured me that he would bring John back to the faith. And when he was in his mid-twenties, I would pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I know you're going to bring him back to the faith, but please don't let it be when he's in his 40s or 50s. I want to live to see it, Lord. Plus, I was also thinking, Lord, if you wait that long, how much baggage is he going to bring with him? It's better to come to faith early in life, not get the baggage, you don't even have to deal with it, than to come later in life. Sometimes we have to knock and be persistent. And even in the knocking, as I said, twice the Lord reassured me. I believe if I've ever received a word from the Lord about one issue that I've been praying for, it was for my son. And twice he gave me that word in two different situations. And yet I still had to wait. I still had to knock. The key is to be persistent in communication, persistent communication with God the Father. Trust that he will do what is best in his good timing. We sang a song about not being anxious. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Be not anxious for nothing, but by everything in prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, If you ask, you will receive. If hope seeks, it will find. If love knocks, the door will be open to it. So we know from a human perspective, verses 9 through 11, What man is there among you? If his son asks for bread, he does not give him a stone. 
If he asks for a fish, does not give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father... I threw in the heavenly there. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask him? If we know how to give good gifts to our children, we, sin-fallen, inherited sin nature people, and we inherited that sin from Adam and Eve, our forefathers and mother, but also um, we sin in ourselves. But we know how to do good things, to share and to give good gifts. God said, Jesus said, how much more your heavenly Father? So if we know how to give bread to our children instead of a stone, fish to our children instead of a serpent, that would be mean. How much more will your Father give to those who ask Him? As believers in Jesus Christ, our Heavenly Father does not just give us good things, but He wants to depart to us the best of things. In Luke 11, 13, the same ask prayer, Jesus explains that what we should be asking for is the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. And so Jesus said, simply ask, and my Father will give you the Spirit. There's a number of times that Jesus encouraged people to ask. The woman at the well, he said in John 4:10, "If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, "Give me a drink," you would have asked him, and he would give you living water, living water of salvation, the living water of the Holy Spirit." Jesus said in John 7:37 through 39 on the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit has been given because Jesus has been glorified. And so at this point, all we need to do is ask. A.W. Tozer was a man of faith that ministered uh, really in the Midwest area, but uh, never ministered in a large church, but wrote a lot of books and booklets about the Holy Spirit and prayer. And he said, the Spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity, as it is part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. The Spirit-filled life is what God desires for His church to experience for each of us every day. Have you asked for this great blessing of the Holy Spirit of God to be poured out upon your life? And I would just say, I don't believe it's a one-time-and-all-done gift. We have a picture in the foyer that's there for a reason. It shows a hand of God pouring water into a cracked-up, leaky vessel with water kind of streaming out of it. I'm not speaking about you. I know I'm a crackpot. I know I leak. I know the Spirit needs to fill me each and every day to keep that overflowing in my life. So the golden rule, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do for you, 
Do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus closes this section, and I'm going to close this message with this section. Jesus closes this section with another reminder of the importance of our relationship with others in connection to our worship with God. So we've titled this the golden rule. That doesn't come from Scripture. But humanity has given us this title. And it's a good thing, you know, do what you want others to do for you. Do that for them as well. And so we call this golden rule. Now, I was tying this back. We've been in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18 reminds us that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so thinking about loving others. So Leviticus 19, 17 and 18, what? Uh, in the law of Moses, God gave through Moses to the children of Israel, but is applicable for us to this day. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the children of your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. God said, this is the standard I want my people to live by. And notice, he does talk about don't hate, rebuke. So there's a little bit of judgment there. And in rebuking, don't bear their sin. Don't let somebody get away where it's actually become sin to you. But don't take vengeance. Don't bear any grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we are to conduct ourselves. He says, I am Yahweh. This is how you are to be. So a great rule of thumb in the Christian life is treating all others, whether friend or enemy, in the way that we wish that they would treat us. In fact, Jesus taught us that in the, this mindset, it actually fulfills the law and the prophets. So when he says fulfills the law and the prophets, he's talking about this thick portion of your Bible, what we call the Old Testament. Loving others, treating them the way you would wish that they would treat you. It doesn't mean that they'll treat you that way. It fulfills the law and the prophets. The standard that all Christians should live by is love God and love others. Jesus said in Matthew 22:37 through 40, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandments. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophet. We need to never forget, and I hate this in the church today, that says, I don't need the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament believer. I'm the skinny believer. The skinny side of the Bible. That's all I'm reading Remember when Jesus came, when the apostles were preaching the kingdom of God, when John the Baptist came to preach, all they had was this part of the Bible. This is a blessing, but we need not to neglect this part of the Bible. The 330 prophecies that foretold of the coming of Christ the first time. The over 500 prophecies that foretell of the coming of Christ the second time, all found in the thick part of your Bible, not in my notes. Just a bonus. Galatians 5:13 and 14, through love serve one another. For all the law 
is fulfilled through one word, if you love your neighbor as yourself. I never forget when the German Baptist Dunkards came to our church for the first time. They've been here at least two, maybe three times. We had uh, the, Dr. David Hawking coming. German Baptist Dunkards, as I could best describe them, think about someone who is Amish, but can use electric power as long as it's not plugged into the grid. So they could use batteries. So when the internet came along and Wi-Fi came along, their church decided that as long as you're, I don't know where they got their charging stations, but as long as it's running off a battery and running off a Wi-Fi, you can search the web. It's amazing to me that every time this furnace kicks on, my microphone gets louder. It's just weird. Um, I've heard that three times so far today. Uh, so they started listening to David Hawking, so much so that we had David Hawking here at the church. They came up from Indiana. And uh, when they, I love that first Sunday they were here, they dressed like it was the 1900s. And uh, the men had their, their goatee shape, just not like mine. Theirs was as German Baptist Dunkards should shape a goatee. And the women had all their dresses, one pattern and a variety of colors. They could have any color, but they could only make their dress one way. Ah, what a boring life. Um, anyways, uh, that was them. But what I noticed about the German Baptist Dunkards, they were servants. And uh, I told two of the people there, a husband and wife, that kind of headed up this whole crew that came to visit us. And I said, I realized after a day of spending a day with you guys that you guys have servant hearts just like we do. And I loved it about them. So it was a great story just to finish it out, just to finish out that they got into... David Hawking and his teaching from the Word of God and uh, the German Baptist Dunkards that came to visit our church at least twice um, over the last years, they are no longer German Baptist Dunkards. They found faith in Jesus Christ and not the rules of the laws that they had grown up under. And they found freedom, true freedom in Christ Jesus. So great, great uh, story. Founder of the Calvary Chapel movement says, it seems right to live by the golden rule. Indeed, it is. But it's not good enough to bring you into the kingdom of God. We need Jesus to come into the kingdom of God. Jesus sums up this section of judging and condemning others by remembering that our judgments toward others will be measured in God's scale of equity. People like to talk equity today. But we need to remember that there are true scales of equity that is in the hand of God. And he will judge. He encourages us then to ask, to seek, and to knock, knowing that we cannot rightly judge the affairs in this life apart from God's help. And finally, he teaches us that by conducting our affairs with equity in mind, in treating others as, wish, as we would wish they would treat us, we are, in essence, fulfilling the law and the prophet, and that's a good thing, but it's not enough. You need Jesus as your Savior. 
Only born-again, spirit-filled believers can truly live by the golden rule. Let's go ahead and stand together. I'm sorry, I went longer than I wanted to, but... And I didn't even finish, so you guys are lucky. But I had fun up here today. I hope you enjoyed the teaching of God's Word. Father, thank you so much for your Word, for what it teaches us. Lord Jesus, in these verses that we looked at today, verses 1 through 11, we were 1 through 12, we were reminded of things, Lord, that we need to know to live by as believers in Jesus Christ, and pretty simple things as well. Simple in the sense of, you know, reading it through and saying, Lord, yeah, of course, but sometimes practically very difficult to implement in our lives. So, Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, when we judge others. Remind us, Lord, that we too will one day be judged by you. Help us, Lord, when sharing your faith with others. And help us, Lord, be willing to share with all. But, Lord, help us to see to whom we should be investing a majority of our time when teaching about faith with others. Help us, Lord, to pray. And, Lord, we thank you for the times we ask and it's given. We praise you, Lord, for those immediate responses in prayer. Teach us, Lord, to seek Teach us, Lord, to be patient and knock, even though it may take 12 years or more. And Lord, help us to treat others as we would have them treat us, even though, Father, they may not treat us well. Help us to always show the love of Christ in the things that we do and how we conduct ourselves. I pray, Father, that if we have those who don't know you as Savior, that you would Speak to their hearts and bring salvation into their lives. Lord, for what other issue may we may be carrying, the burdens that we may have, we look to you, Lord, now. Minister your spirit among us. And of that, Lord, I close this prayer by asking. Lord, you said, if the Father knows how to give good gifts to his children, how much more shall the Father, the Heavenly Father, give good gifts to those who ask, especially that of the Holy Spirit? We ask, Father, that you would give the Holy Spirit to us. Overflow us, Lord, by your Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.